Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Mezcal Collective at Las Perlas, we have Jamie Mandeville in the house with Casadores Tequila. We tried the Blanco, the Reposado, the Añejo, and the Extra Añejo. It was a magical night. Check it out. Tell your friends and always remember to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means take breaths between sips. Oh, yeah. Not bad for a hump day slow clap. Not bad. All they've had is the punch so far, so we still have more to come, right? Some people were here before the punch. All right. So there's some people who've got a little bit of a head start. Some people live here. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Mezcal Collective, everyone. Tonight, we have the one and only Jamie Mandeville in the house. Yeah. That means it's family night. It's family night. Family night, Bring the kids. Thank you for having me. So, Jamie is the rep for Casadores, one of the most famous tequilas in the world. Best famous? Best famous? You choose any of the adjectives. They're all great. (laughs) You tell me. Okay, so why is it the best? How come this is one of the premier tequilas on the market? What makes it different? What makes it so good? Uh, so many things. We're actually going to cover all of it in a little bit. Okay. Um, but before we get started, Casadores. Casadores. That's how we're going to pronounce it from here on out. And I swear, my uh, Spanish accent, you'll be able to deal with it better as the night goes on. You just need more tequila. More tequila. So I'm not going to completely run through all the regulations of tequila, because I'm sure you've heard them before. But we'll kind of do a refresher, because I like to just kind of everyone gets to one place. So I love tequila. I have like an agave on my arm. Like I don't lie, like I really love it. Um, But part of it is that it's one of the most highly regulated spirits when you're talking about 100% Blue Weber agave. So there's the Tequila Regulatory Council that controls all of it. Um, There are some things that are very unique to tequila, meaning that you must grow in a certain region. It's going to be 100% Blue Weber agave, which is a certain species of agave. And, you know, unbeknownst to some people, it is not cactus juice. Definitely not cactus juice. It's actually in the lily family. So don't run around calling it cactus juice. It's not cactus juice. (laughs) Um, It's not a cactus cooler. No. So you can grow... Uh, Blue Weber agave and make tequila all throughout Jalisco, but then there's four other states that you can grow within. Uh, It has to be distilled twice. Um, And beyond that, there's some age statements that get marked out. So tonight, like we're going to be tasting everything from Blanco to Reposado, Añejo, and Extra Añejo. So we'll kind of break those down a bit. I didn't even know you guys had an Extra Añejo. I know, right? That's Mind cool. blown. I'm ready. Blow it. Good. I wasn't attached That's to this mind That's why we do anyway. these things, to introduce new things, even to Pedro here. He's around right. for a minute, maybe, right? Maybe I just forgot about it. No, I really didn't know. I didn't know. So, you know, Pedro asked, like, what's so amazing about tequila Casadores? So we are a highland tequila. We're actually up in the Altos region in an area called Arandas. It's one of the highest points of it, and as we talk about tequila, it's a very terroir-driven spirit, meaning that these agave plants spend six, eight, sometimes more years in the ground. So all of that like richness into the soil makes a big impact into the spirit that you're drinking at the end of the day, even after distillation. So um, with our agave that we're growing up in the highlands, we're, we're sourcing it all from Jalisco, not outside, all from Arandas. 
We're working with a number of farmers, and these contracts go back decades, many, many decades. Um, it's very hard to, in the area, be able to like go out and just make a tequila in this day and age because of the agave shortage. Um, our recipe dates back to 1922, so a lot of time and leverage on that. It has actually started by a gentleman by the name of Don Marie Banuelos. So he was a, we call him a, like a campesino. Like he was a kind of peasant farmer that worked in the agave fields. And as you go back to say like 1900, people weren't drinking tequila. They were drinking polke. Yeah, right? You know polke. <laughs> uh, very much drank for effect, but the next morning you definitely remember that you drank all that polke. I'd, so he had I'm this, not afraid of polke. I think polke is delicious. It's really good. It is. I mean, it comes from, so what polke is, is if you look at the agave plant, inside it will produce an agua miel. And then if you ferment that, it makes what's called pulque. So yeah, it's so a little rough. It's a specific varietal of, of uh, an agave that is, it's a pulque agave, mm -hmm. but you carve it out. So you cut the top of it off and you carve like a little bowl in the plant. And then the, the plant bleeds its sap. And that agua miel, if you just scoop that out and put it into a pitcher or a clay vessel or what have you, it'll keep filling for a few days. And then that naturally ferments with the yeast that is occurring in the air. And you get this crazy like agave beer that's kind of milky sometimes. And it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's really can be some funky juice. But you go down through Oaxaca and different parts of Mexico and people are making it in their restaurants and people are making it in their houses. And it's like... Kind of like I'm making it in like Home Depot five gallon buckets. That's I right. It from like it's little a little bit bubbly like does. Yes. No, there's poke bars where you can like have strawberry or menta or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to be done with, and it's really good. There's great variance to it. In but yeah, that's a big point of it. Is that it was kind of known to be flavored at the time to kind of take that edge off of it. So, uh, Don Maria Banuelos, his dream was to make something that was palatable to like go through distillation, use some techniques that he had learned away, along the way, and make his tequila. I, and this was definitely his dream. Um, at, unfortunately, at the time, like he never got to see it realized until his grandson had discovered his recipe and was really promoted by his father to go ahead and bring this to life. So at first, as he was making it, it was like in the 1970s now. It was mostly for like weddings, family occasions, he was, still, he was still experimenting as well, right? Uh, but the tequila business was definitely much more underway at this point. Um, in 1973, along with his family, who wanted him to realize a dream, they found and opened up the distillery in 1973. So, and that's in Arondas. So, the, we have our first pour, we have our Blanco. So, rules and regulations for Blanco, right? So this can be aged up to 60 days. For us with tequila casadores, ours doesn't see any time in wood maturation on it. So, let's no um, time in a barrel, meaning no. No like, time you guys in the rest barrel. it in like a stainless, stainless steel? steel? Okay, so that's very common. Is that you rest it? It helps the spirit smooth out a little bit with a little time of oxidation. The short chain tannins will link and create long chain tannins, and it makes for a smoother mouthfeel. Exactly. So you often we rest. We like to say, you know, to like sit in there and kind of just relax yeah. before we put it, it in needs, the bottle. It needs, it needs to, to chill out, right? It needs, yeah. It just was born, <laughs> and now it needs to meld. So go ahead and, you know, we have these lovely glasses. Go ahead and nose it. Bring in the aromas. Yeah. So stick your nose in that glass. 
Breathe in, give it a nice your mouth, And then tell me what you're reminded of. What food words come to mind? Because there is a lot of terroir, as she said, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a food word. You could think of it as a color. It could be a place. There's no wrong answer. So share your experience. I smell a lot of vanilla just from the terroir. Like. Yeah, definitely vanilla. And it's interesting, right? Because this doesn't spend any time with wood contact. With the rondes, it is, um, it's very like rich in clay. Like the, even the, the soils, like kind of very red versus the volcanic, like ashy of the valley area. So it brings up a lot of those properties. Um, one thing very unique to us in our process is that we go through a double fermentation process. Who's, who are, where are my wine drinkers out there? We have one person okay. of class It's okay. Here. Our she global ambassador, the one person our global wine. ambassador, Manny Hinojosa, he calls tequila casadores. He calls it Mexican Chardonnay. Interesting. It's, Kind of partly because he loves drinking a good, like, healthy four ounces out of a wine glass and still feeling like he looks sophisticated as he's doing it. I, but, can, I can get that. It does have a little bit of a butteriness on the nose, and I get a little banana as well. It does, yeah. So through our fermentation process, having it go through a double fermentation, or like in the wine side, we call it malolactic fermentation. Basically, the really uh, kind of sour tart malic acids or turn into lactic acids, which kind of create that buttery vanilla note to it. We're like letting it kind of rest on the yeast. So that's why you have a little creamier note to it. Right did on, you, right did on. you all taste it yet? Yeah, so you you've smelled it. Think of what it reminds you of and now tap it over your tongue and let your, man, your mind be blown. Let those words keep coming. Expand what it is, you know, your connection between your tongue and your brain. Banana leaf and a little bit of pineapple on this. Banana leaf, banana and, leaf and pineapple. That's great. What are you guys getting here? What do you guys smell? What are you guys getting? I was definitely getting the banana. Pineapple. And even like, you know, as we talk about banana, are you getting like fresh banana or banana peel, banana chip? There's like kind of a lot of directions to go with it. Did you guys try it over here? Uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So what about you? What are you getting? Drunk nights in cottage. <laughs> well, as Pedro said, it doesn't need to be an actual like food. Sometimes taste profiles are nostalgic. So, so good times in youth. That's what I took from that. <laughs> good times. Right on. So Stephanie's coming around with the second mark, which is going to be what? The second oh, one, you which is. Tell us about. I wanted you to finish the story about the double fermentation. Yes. What does that mean? I, I didn't know that there was such a thing. So double fermentation is also called malolactic fermentation. And a lot of the, like, the wine industry uses malolactic fermentation. A lot of your big like California Chardonnays are going to use it. And what the process is, is after the fermentation process completes, you're not removing the yeast off the top. You're letting it kind of go through. And for all those sour uh, malic acids turning into lactic acids. So that's where you get the creamy, buttery. Ah, that's really cool. I did not know. That's yeah. right. Something borrowed from the wine industry for sure. I also got on the on the Blanco, I got there's something like very floral in the mouth. There's like a little something that you get those nice fruit notes. But for me, the Blanco also had this cool like almost like pink I, flowers. Or I something. get like a white flower from it. Yeah. Um, one of the important things about like 
our master blender and distiller, he really wants to be able to like match it to a flavor profile, but really celebrate the agave notes to the tequila. So we'll kind of go through this now. Now we have the reposado in your glass. So this is over 60 days, but under one year that is spending in the barrel. So we went through a little bit about our fermentation process. Um, to kind of go through our distillation process, we have stainless steel pot, pot distilled uh, tequila here. So you can either choose to do column distilled or pot distilled. We really want to go through that long fermentation process and then highlight and celebrate all of the notes. So that's why we're using pot stills with it. So there's no copper in the stills? There's still... Copper lined. Okay, copper lined. I was gonna say, they still have copper in the yes. still, okay. Yes, Cool, so the reposado, this means it's rested. Rested. And so, yeah. Your Spanish is really great, Pedro, rested. I've, I've lived in Los Angeles for 18 years. If I didn't know Spanish, I would be lost LA Spanglish. Yes. all the time, which I am lost in an idiot a lot of the time, but I'm a little less lost and idiotic because of my Spanish speaking skills. <laughs> Well, yes, reposado, so rested. Um, sometimes people ask me exactly how long it's been rested, and it's a really hard thing to say, you know, because depending on how the agaves were that we harvested, like every little thing makes a difference. Even the temperatures that year um, that we were resting it in the barrels will make a difference. So um, our distillation process, I should also say, we take uh, over 24 hours to go through that distillation process. So we do a low temperature and slow distillation with it just to like preserve all the characteristics in the agave. So distilling at a slower pace to lower retain, temperature. To retain more of a full body spirit. You're not stripping right, so much out. When you start off with like such an amazing like raw material, the only thing that you can do is sort of deplete it over time and with whatever you do to it. So it's all about trying to preserve the initial flavor of the agave through this process. Now in your double fermentation that you guys are doing, is that closed fermentation or is there open to the air as well? No, it's closed stainless steel. Oh, okay, so they, you're stainless using a proprietary tanks, yeast closed. strain? We like are using it, yeah, a proprietary yeast strain. Um, it's something that, like with yeast strains, it's very much sort of the DNA of the end product. Well, so. some master distillers really care a lot about yes. the, the yeast. Mm -hmm. Others are just like, I'll use whatever yeast They're they like, have at the grocery store. They're like, there's a box right there, and that's what, <laughs> no. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> some people don't really care about True. it, but in America, we care about it a lot in the bourbon world. And I know that down in Mezcal country, they talk about like, they're very, very localized yeast having an effect on the flavor, for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely the fermentation process. We spent a lot of time and effort on it. So this is kind of a quirky story. And at our, in our fermentation area, they actually play Mozart during this time to like Because yeast loves classical music. Yes. And they prefer Mozart because he was a prodigy. I mean, everyone should prefer Mozart, right? It depends. It depends. I like, you know, I like those Russian composers. I'm a big Tchaikovsky guy, but that's my darkness coming out. So. Mozart. It's because the yeast love to make love to Mozart. <laughs> so, did we go ahead and nose the reposado? Yeah, what are you guys getting? So, share your opinion. This is a place where you can get it more deeply in touch with your own ability to smell and taste. Give it a try. And a, a cinnamon and sharp, maybe it's the copper, I don't know. And one other thing, it, ha, it just is smooth and just kind of starts off on your tongue, goes down your, 
your palate to kind of center in your chest. Nice, smooth, chill. You need nice. to have your own radio show over here. Yeah. <laughs> right? I like that. So it was smooth and sharp? Smooth and sharp. Okay. With That's, cinnamon. That sounds interesting. I like the same way. Sexy. I would describe it the same way. I like it. Okay, we have someone second it. Uh-oh, what do we got over here? What do you see? I like smelled and tastes like caramel. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right? I smell that. Like, it's just like very strong, and then it just made it super smooth. I don't know if it's like the mind to the taste buds type thing, but it was like, oh, this tastes like caramel. So it's a lot smoother mm -hmm. than like a sharp taste. It just like flows. Yeah, you guys are both getting that. How do we like the reposado? What are you getting, Stephanie? I'm getting like buttered popcorn and like brown butter and a little bit of vanilla. I like that. Buttered popcorn or like... So we're going to get a little bit into the aging. Stephanie just asked me like what type of barrels that we're using. This is a really important thing as you go through because um, as I mentioned that tequila is not that regulated. So you can use barrels of any size for the most part until you get into Añejo. You can use any size barrel and it can be from anywhere. Um, so not always the case like as you go through things like cognac or other, other spirits, that's even regulated. For us, we're using new American oak barrels. They're 200 liters. We're never using anything larger than that. Um, and the reason why we're using new American oak barrels is so that we aren't getting any residual flavors from anything else being in the barrels. We're having a very controlled environment. We are still able to pull out those light tannins from the wood and the vanilla notes as we kind of progress on. And you'll see as we move into the Añejo and the extra Añejo. So that means if... It's not a used bourbon cask. It's not charred. No. It's not a charred oak barrel. Just no, like a wine a barrel, essentially. Yeah, new American. It's still toasted. So I've noticed a couple things. This makes me think that this master distiller, he's somehow he's tapping into the wine world. He's got to like he's going for the Chardonnay thing. He's got a proprietary yeast. He's doing double fermentation and he's using uncharred oak, which is what you would use for Chardonnay. For, exactly. So it's like a total like wine approach to the tequila making. I want to know about the process too. Um, so you've got your big, huge, you guys are a pretty big brand. Do you guys, are you doing brick ovens to cook your um, agaves in or are you guys using like a big pressure cooker or what do you guys no, use? We are using very modern and very environmentally friendly techniques with uh, our process as far as um, expelling. So we were asked about kind of our process in going through um, before fermentation. So after the agaves are collected, we're going through a shred shredder process. We're doing what's called a diffuser method with our tequila. Um, it's a 24 step process in which we are actually adding hot water to it, like 180 degrees hot water and flowing through the agave plant to be able to like pull out most of the sugar. We're not able to get 100%, we're at 98% that we pull out because we're also not using Acidifiers. We're not using acid and adding that to it to get 100%. So just a hot water. So just hot wa I've water is the only that. thing. So sometimes people like they hear diffuser and it turns into like a dirty word, right? People are like, ooh, ooh, that's bad. But you know, with the agave shortage and with us wanting to be a very environmentally friendly product, this is the method that we can keep consistent. So as we go into the cook for it, after we're extracting out this this agua meal. Then we're going into making our musto, which is basically taking that juice that we've expressed out and putting it into an autoclave. So we're not going into an oven with it. We are going straight into the autoclave with it. Which is so a gigantic...
pressure cooker. It's which a pressure is, cooker. So, so we can regulate using... temperature and we can still extract from it and basically turn that starch into sugar at a low temperature and then cook it to kind of caramelize from there and get those really rich notes. Why do diffusers have such a bad name like in the industry as far as like this quila? So I know like uh, salsa or hornitos use a diffuser and their taste is way different than what this is like. Sure, so there's, it's kind of a multi-step question. I've also been to their um, their distillery. They're also a column still. So there's many choices along the way that change the flavor profile of the tequila. So I mentioned one thing, so even with diffuser, like that method is not equal across the board. Some people are using acid to it or not. We could be cooking at a different temperature in our autoclave than other people could be doing so. Um, but yeah, a lot of people get really upset about it because a lot of people just really want to respect the ancestral way of making tequila. And that's with the Tejona, where you're maybe getting about 60% from the agave plant as far as agave juice from it. Um, and a number, you know, but there's a number of other factors that come into play from there. So we are not, you know, we don't ever hide that. We're not an ancestral practice of tequila. Our recipe is from 1922. Our distillery opened in 1973. So one of the things that is really important to us are green initiatives. So after we go through this process and we have the agave leaves that are, you know, basically to be discarded, we actually use that to power our distillery. So 60% of our distillery is powered by this. We go into a biomass boiler, and from there, we are, we're able to power our distillery and have zero footprint, which is really unique for distilleries in Mexico. Yes, yeah, really cool. It really does have, it don't, you don't get any solvent notes off of it. Some people who are like, you know, real purists of the mezcal world will tell you that tequila sometimes has, because of the use of, acid in the diffuser sometimes you can smell like a solvent note in it exactly this doesn't have that this is fruity mm -hmm. really fruity and soft yeah. it's really nice um and it's funny like you were talking about college tequila like to me like the Thank the reposado know. is my well that's like actually when i started having a job in college and could buy nice tequila i like the reposado and i think a lot of people kind of like really identify that because that's definitely our flagship out of out of the whole uh lineup of tequila casadores Oh. So you guys like this? Who? We'll do a little quick poll. Yeah. How many folks like the Blanco the best? That first one we tried. Arturo, myself, and Jamie. All right. <laughs> if we're having a Blanco party. All right. This brother right here. All right. How many folks like the Reposado better? All right. Mm -hmm. You guys are fancy. That's cool. Your limousine is waiting for you outside. No, I'm kidding. It's just a different taste. A that rested. It's, it's more smooth. It's interesting how so many people were talking about texture and the feeling of it going down your esophagus. Whereas like, I, I tend to focus on all these like floral essences or wh what kind of fruit is it or what mm -hmm. have you. Like a lot of other people, you're just talking about texture and you're talking about how it makes you feel inside your chest or inside your body as you sip it down. And so there, yeah, that's there's totally so many legit. Ways, there's no wrong answers. No, and there's so many ways to phrase it from like the viscosity of yeah. it to like even like even your tongue tastes things in different points. So like bitterness is like in the back, you know, you're tasting like sour in the front. So even yeah. just how you're, how you're, I, I want to say how you're swallowing your tequila, but how you're like And you're ultimately <laughs> describing a pleasurable experience. And that's the, that's all that matters is exactly. that you're getting deeper in your ability to tell a good story about something great that happened. In this case, it's sipping on 
Casadores. Tequila Casadores. Am I saying it right? Casadores. Casadores. You just are sexier than I am. I can't top that. Come it's on. okay. Practice makes perfect. Okay. I'll practice being sexy. I don't think it's working. <laughs> All right. We have the Añejo now. Okay. Yeah. Let's... Moving right along, Pedro. So this All right, one, the Añejo. So tell us the legal definition of what so Añejo means. the legal definition of Añejo is that it has to be aged at least one year, but under three years. Oh, the ones that are over three years? That's an extra Añejo. Oh, should we nose the Añejo? So now this is a big difference though, right? Like up to three years in a barrel. So now we're starting to get so much more more on the nose as far as like kind of those like caramel notes and almost like a burnt caramel. Yeah, what are you guys getting? As you tap this over your tongue, share your experience. No wrong answers. Arturo. Mole Poblano. That's excellent. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that. What are you guys getting? I don't know. It's amazing. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting That's pleasure. A good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes like good times. <laughs> We make this dessert in Nicaragua. It's a mixture of uh, yucca that's shredded with a little bit of cheese, and you fry it, and it kind of is, it gives you kind of like a like a pungent, kind of cheesy but like earthy flavor, and it just reminds me a lot of that. They're called buñuelos, but the Nicaraguans, the Nicaraguan style, not the Mexican kind. <laughs> She's just explaining regional differences. All right, we're like. We're not, we're not trying to get in a fight here, <laughs> all right. This is the Mezcal Collective. We're, we're, we're keeping the peace here. We're keeping the peace. All right, all right. So, I mean, for me, like, I get a lot of spice on this one. Like, you said cinnamon earlier on the Reposado. Like, to me, that's so much more heightened on this one. Yeah. I've had someone say it's, it tastes like churros. Churros, that's yeah. funny. I'm getting cinnamon. I get that churros thing. Cinnamon sugar, I can get that. I get like a little bit like the, it doesn't have that doughiness. When I think of the churros, fiery I think of that heat of the cinnamon, right? yeah. Say again? I get the fiery heat from the cinnamon, yeah. Definitely. It's nice. Really, So really yeah, nice. the mole poblano is a good. Do you know what these are running in the liquor store? What the range is? Blanco, Reposado, Añejo. How much is this going to cost I'm not sure. Me? I have my, my lovely colleague over here. Claire, do you know range? Come on, Claire. Blanco, Blanco is about... Nineteen ninety nine, Reposado wow. twenty three ninety nine, Añejo like around forty dollars, and then extra Añejo is around fifty to sixty, depending on where you go. This is great That's tequila cheap. for those prices. Only twenty bucks for the Blanco. Okay. I'm gonna add that to this my This needs home to bar. be your home bar tequila. It's, well, the, it's actually when I first, I, in my early twenties, first traveling to Mexico. Casadores was the first tequila that I had that I really liked. I had it in northern Mexico, and I was like, this is really good. And that was kind of like when Casadores was just first starting to get really popular in the States. Right. And it was the first one that I was like, damn. To me, it was like premium. I didn't know it was $20 a bottle, but it was like, to me, I was like, this is fancy tequila. Yeah, this you was know? my first good tequila that I got to drink. Yeah, exactly. The one that I remember drinking. That's the, yeah, yes. it was the one that you remember drinking, not the one with the worm in the bottle. Exactly. Ooh, that's really buttery. I even get a chocolatey note on the finish. It is. You get caramel and chocolate, like a Rolo thing happening. Like a what? Yeah, Rolo. Those old, those old candies oh. that yeah, that's milk a blast chocolate the with caramel yeah. on the inside. Yes. <laughs> a Rolo. We're bringing it back. Bringing it back. 
I, I practice a lot of this, all right? I'm not a genius, I just do this way too often. So with our aging uh, facility that we have, um, it's always kind of interesting because it is, it is Mexico, so you do have a very like tropical climate to it, it being like warm and sometimes during summertime it's quite humid, but then it, it starts to get, it still is the desert, so it gets quite like cold and dry and brittle, so you sort of have both climates going, like, working within the barrel. So it's an interesting thing because it, it draws out the spicy notes as well as the fruit notes, and that's just kind of our natural process up there in Arandas, which is a really great thing to have that depth of character in the wow. tequila. And then how old did you say that this extranejo is? So we always, we don't have a specific like time frame on it. We are a little bit younger as far as añejos go. And part of it is that we're in new American oak. So does your master distiller kind of just go on taste? Like when he feels or she feels it's ready, like this is what it's supposed to taste like at this moment. Exactly. Um, they, Jesus is definitely going off of a flavor profile and matching that flavor profile. So it's never an exact recipe. It's always being able to match it to that profile. We have a whole panel of like master taste testers and other things that go along with this process. So it's him leading the charge with a number of other people at our distillery. Right on. So stick your nose in this glass of extra Nijo de Casadores. Pedro, this is your first time with extra Añejo. It's mature. I'm trying to be more mature. Here's to adulting. Yeah, what are you guys getting? So I'm getting like butter and, and the butter and graham cracker almost, like butter on top of a graham cracker. What are you guys getting? Hazelnut. Hazelnut, okay. Shortbread cookie? Okay, beautiful. Hazelnut, shortbread cookie. tiramisu. Oh, wow. That's good. That's really good. You must cook, or you eat well, either or. <laughs> so yeah, like a tiramisu, I, um, I get like a creme brulee from it, that nice like burnt sugar and like vanilla creaminess. Yeah. Delicious. All right. So Jamie, do you guys add any coloring to any of your tequilas? Do you guys have any we color? We do not, no. No? Because there's a lot of color on this extra You can tell it's been in a barrel. Now, is, there's still no charred oak on this. Still, this is just... So we're still a toast on it. Oh, it's just they a toast. They are toasted. But not charred. Exactly. But it does have some color from that barrel on there. In the rum world, the different spirit categories have their own rules, and tequila has its own set of laws. If you're going to call it tequila, they have a whole set of rules as to what that means. But I think there is a little percentage... That you they can, can add use. 1%. 1%. So people utilize that. And it's not even so much that they're using that 1% for spirit and that's what most liquor companies will use to have a consistency in color with it. Um, but, and I, I have to search back. I think at one point we were using spirit caramel to kind of like stabilize color, and now we're not doing it any longer. So, wow. so you have, we'll have some variance with the, from bottle to bottle. So from a consumer side, sometimes what happens is if you have like the bottles on the shelf and someone goes to buy them and they see like one is like richer and deeper in color, they're probably going to choose that one, you know, um, and not and think that it's a better product. But yeah, there are companies that take liberty with that 1% and add other, other sweeteners, Right. And in this day and age, because, you know, we're very sophisticated in terms of chemical additives, 1% by volume 
could be something extremely strong in terms of like what you're able to synthesize in a lab. You could potentially 1% by volume make something so incredibly strong that even though it's only 1%, it has a huge effect on the flavor or the texture or the color. I mean, one of the reasons we have the Mezcal Collective is to better define this for ourselves. If we are better informed as consumers, then the industry will follow suit. They will adjust to whatever we ask for. If we say we want to know everything that's on the bottle, eventually the industry will come around because we're the ones who buy this stuff and we have the right to know exactly what we're purchasing. And that's what liquor companies are seeing, that people want more transparency in their companies. People are like, as they're vacationing, they want to go to distillery trips. They want to see, they want to peek behind the curtain. And that's why things like Mezcal Collective are very successful because it kind of gives you the opportunity to get behind the bottle a bit. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the extra Nejo? Amazing. <laughs> Even more. I love it. It's amazing. I ask because you, you like the Añejo a lot. So. It's my favorite. <laughs> right on. What else? What else? Arturo, what are you getting on the extra Añejo? Like a toasted fruit. It's really fruity. Like, I feel like toasted fruit, like maybe yeah. charred pineapples, something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Dante, what are you getting, buddy? Like banana bread. Banana bread? Yeah, banana bread's a good one. That is good. Yeah. And chocolate. I get banana bread with chocolate chips inside of it. Mm -hmm. Milk chocolate chips. Right on. So Great do you guys stuff. have any questions about tequila casadores after going through this? I know we kind of ran through a little bit about Arondas and our place of origin. Uh, we went through our fermentation process our extraction method, distillation. Um, I have a question. Hmm. That double fermentation, how long does that process take? 24 hours. No, no. I bet long. I bet much longer. No, we're about six days. So that's a super long fermentation. So what's happening with that double fermentation is that the yeasts are having a longer lifespan. And because you're adding more yeast, you're... Well, we're not adding more yeast. We're leaving the dead yeast. The, the, the floor, you're allowing the floor to stay on top. So as these, sometimes they'll get that off of there, but that allows for a longer anaerobic phase of fermentation. What you were talking about, the malic... Yeah, what, the what malic the acid turning into lactic acid. So you had a name for it that I can't remember now. What was that kind of fermentation? Mal, it's called malolactic fermentation. Malolactic fermentation, which is lactic, meaning it gives you those milky notes or cheesy notes or that, that creamy mouthfeel. That comes from that long, long fermentation. If you, you could do it in 24 hours, you could put accelerants into the fermentation, but what happened is that the flavor profile will be more narrow. You, you can get the alcohol out of the sugars really quickly, but the variance of flavor won't be as much. That longer fermentation will add, it's like the yeast has a lifespan and it does different things in the beginning of its life than it does in the end of its life, like any living thing. So it creates different flavors over the arc of its own life. Mm -hmm. Six days, it's gonna have a chance to make a lot of different kinds of flavor. Whereas if you pushed it and made it all happen in 24 hours, it would give you a really strong kind of one note flavor. And then you know, as does you that make go sense? into distillation, that's amplified. So if you were only playing around with like one or two high notes, once it's in a distilled form, then that's really apparent. A lot of flavor and a lot of body into it, and it's not that you have one particular flavor profile that's jumping out and taking over everything. Really, really wonderful stuff. And I learned a lot about Casadores that I never knew before. Thank you, Jamie. Even how to say it, You too. guys, give it up for Jamie Mandeville. Casadores, tequila Casadores. Thanks, so you're getting be better. Sexy. I'm getting better. Thank getting you guys better. so much. It's the tequila.
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember. Remember.